Well, it's been fun, hasn't it, to have the Chambers family lead us this morning? I'm impressed that uh, Jeff got in. Uh, I auditioned for the Chambers family, and I didn't make it, so I'm impressed, bud. Good job. And uh, I, I continue to be excited for uh, Danny and Emily, and uh, to hear your testimony today was a real blessing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, they're off to a good start, and uh, it just makes me a little bit curious about how things are for you in uh, your marital status. How many of you have been married, uh, let's say, five years or less? Anybody in the house five years or less? Okay. We should pray. <laughs> And then, uh, how many of you have been married 10 years or more? All right. 20 years or more? 30 years or more? 40 years or more? Wonderful. 50 years or more? They're all hanging together back there in the same corner. 55 years or more? Oh, look, they all dropped. Okay. All right. All right between 50 and 55. Well... One of the interesting things about marriage is that, for those of you that are five years and less, um, the longer you're married to someone, the more you know them, but you still don't understand them. <laughs> Completely. Right? So uh, those of you that are, you know, in the 50 to 55 category, you'd say amen to that. I mean, you know each other well. There's probably nobody on the planet that knows your spouse as well as you do. But there are still those times when you're like, whoa, who am I married to here? And there's that little piece of understanding that continues to come forth. And uh, that is actually what we're going to be talking about today as we're looking in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you want to open up. We're going to be looking at, we'll scan a lot of verses and then we're going to read about uh, two or three. But believe it or not, friends, as we're in the last Sunday of 2010. We have gone through the entire Gospel of Matthew across this year. I don't know if you were tracking, but uh, if you were, and a lot of you do the little note-taking thing, uh, and you have a notebook, and you just do it you know, page by page across the year, which is a fantastic discipline, you now have a commentary, your own personal commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we'll conclude the series that I've been in recently where we've been talking about stories for the season we conclude that today, and we'll begin a whole new series next Sunday as we get into a new year. You can start a new notebook. Or if you haven't done that, that would be a good time to start that discipline. But, uh, and you go, well, how are you in chapter 13 and you've done all of Matthew? Well, we jumped around a little bit. Back uh, at Easter, we kind of fast-forwarded to the end and got some of the, the latter part of Matthew done at that point, and then we've come back. But we're talking today about how knowing is not always understanding. And that's especially true when it comes to the person of God, the things of God, and the kingdom of God. So as we've been in this series that we've been calling Stories for the Season, we have been especially focusing on the stories that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he told a lot of stories. Uh, those stories are called parables. A parable is a different kind of story. And a lot of his parables fit one category in particular. Stories about the kingdom of heaven. 
And you know you're looking at a parable that talks about the kingdom of heaven because it opens up that way. The kingdom of heaven is like. And a lot of those are found in Matthew 13. So I'm going to just refresh our memory for a moment before we get into what we're looking at today. If you have your Bible, look with me in Matthew 13. And beginning at the first verse, you're looking at the parable of the sower, as it's referred to by many. Uh, Others refer to it as the parable of the soils, and I prefer that one because I think more of the focus is on the condition of the soil that the sower is sowing seed into. And we've talked a lot about that parable over these weeks. Uh, And then, uh, as you verse 10, uh, Jesus then says a word about the purpose of parables. And he basically says up front, everybody's not going to get these. Some people will understand this. Some people will not. Uh, If you have been a student of the Gospel of Matthew, and you've been tracking over this with me over the past year, you'll recall that Matthew 5 through 7 is a very precious piece of the Bible that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a lot of the teachings of Jesus that he delivered on a mountainside. Well, when you get into a lot of these parables, particularly as we're starting in chapter 13, you might refer to these as the Sermon on the Sea. Because as you look in verse 1, on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the lake and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. So he's now out in the lake or the sea and he's teaching from a boat and he's throwing these parables at them. And so some refer to this as the Sermon on the Sea in contrast to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was a a tremendous dynamic thing because the longer he taught, the greater the crowds were that amassed. Thousands and thousands and thousands amassed around this Sermon on the Mount experience. The Sermon on the Sea, people began to walk away more and more and more. Same Jesus. Same authoritative, captivating speaker. One gathers crowds, one disperses crowds. What's the difference? Well, when he gets into verse 10, he says, it's because a lot of people just aren't going to get what we're talking about now. Because now I'm speaking in parables. And as the opening parable indicates, you've got to have a certain kind of heart that will get a parable. That will lean into and glean from a parable. And so he he quotes Isaiah, who had prophesied uh, hundreds of years prior that this would be the case when the Messiah came, that he would speak in parables. And then when you get to uh, verse 18, he explains the parable of the soils. You get on down to verse 24, and he begins to talk about the parable of the weeds. And we talked about that one. And uh, a sower goes out and sows good seed. And and out of that comes this life-giving wheat. But his enemy comes along and sows bad seed among it. And weeds grow up right alongside of the wheat. Uh, and we, I'm not going to revisit all that. Verse uh, 31, he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. How a very small thing of the kingdom of heaven can just explode and become this large thing. And then he gives the parable of the leaven. Just a little bit of leaven goes into the flour. And it, it uh, permeates all of uh, the dough that will become The life-giving bread. Uh, And then when he gets to uh, verse 36, he explains. He gets the disciples aside and says, now let me tell you what the parable of the weeds was all about. 
And then uh, verse 44, he gets into the parable of the hidden treasure, which we talked about Christmas Eve. And how the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody just stumbles upon. And sometimes we just stumble upon the kingdom of heaven, the things of God, the activity of God. And then he talks about uh, the parable of the pearl of great price or great value. And we didn't talk about that one, but it's kind of like the flip side of the hidden treasure. The hidden treasure, you just stumble upon it. The pearl of great price, you go searching, you go hunting. And it takes this effort on your part to find. Sometimes the kingdom of heaven is stumbled upon. Sometimes it's something that comes with great intense search. And uh, then he has the parable in verse 47 of the net. And there's a large catch of fish. The kingdom of heaven is like a large catch of fish in a net. And uh, when it was brought to shore, uh, they began to separate the fish that were going to be kept. And the fish that were going to be discarded. And uh, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Not everybody gets into the kingdom of heaven. And some are deemed righteous. And some are deemed unrighteous. And the unrighteous are cast away. And we've talked a lot over these weeks about how does someone become righteous. And how is it that someone is unrighteous. Uh, It's not so much who we are and what we do and and, uh, all the the deeds that we try to generate, but it's the work of Christ that happens in us as that seed is sown in our heart and grows forth. So I'm not going to revisit all that. We've been doing that for all these weeks. By the way, all of that is on CD out here or online if you'd like to just click into our website and check those out. Now, one of the things that you'll notice about all of these parables that we've been going through over these weeks is that none of them tell you how. You engage and live in the kingdom of heaven. They all describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this. It's like this. It's like this. Until today. And today, we're going to be looking uh, at a parable where he's not going to say the kingdom of heaven is like, but rather he's going to say a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like. And so now he just subtly turns from talking about the kingdom of heaven in this big concept to talking about you. Talking about me. A disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like. And we're going to be looking at verse 51 and following. So, got your Bible. Let's read that. He said, have you understood all these things? (laughs) I love that. I mean, he knows they're like scratching their head, banging their head on the wall. What is Jesus talking about? What does that parable mean? I'm not sure I get this one. He'd even paused along the way and explained a couple of them. And he goes, have you understood all these things? And they say to him, yes. Now, I, I don't know if, they, if they're having a clear moment, but uh, I think clearly they didn't get it all. And so they said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Okay. Any questions? (laughs) So anticipating that you might have a question about that, uh, I'm going to unpack that a little bit and then we'll be through. What did he just say? Well, first of all, he asked him the question, have you understood? Which is a wonderful Greek 
word in the ancient manuscript that when you unpack it, you go, oh. Because not unlike what we just said about marriage, so it is with the kingdom of heaven. The longer you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the longer you are a follower of Jesus, the longer that the kingdom of heaven is a part of your own reality because Jesus is ushering it into your life. The more you know, the more you know, the more you know. And some of it you understand. Some of it you understand. And some of it you understand. This word, understood, have you understood, is a word that means you grasp the meaning but you only begin to get it more and more and more over process. Just like we were saying with marriage. Uh, you know more about your spouse today than you've ever known in your entire life. And you understand a whole lot, but there's a whole lot you still don't. It's a process. You will continue to understand your spouse the rest of your life. To grow an understanding. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven and the things of God. Uh, some of you have been walking with Christ for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And you know more about Christ than you've ever known right now. You understand more about the kingdom of heaven right now than you've ever understood in your entire life. There's still a lot more to understand. And so when Jesus says, have you understood? He says that in a context and, and with a connotation that he knows. They hadn't got the whole thing. You never graduate in your marriage, right? Until... You go on to heaven. You're, you're always in the course of marriage, learning about marriage. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. You're always growing in that. You're always learning in that until you graduate and go to heaven. You never graduate here on earth. And so he, he says, have you understood? And they go, uh, we, we think we do. And then he goes on to point out, okay, well, see, here's what the deal is. You're like a scribe. Now, it's interesting that he would use that word because the Greek word that he uses specifically refers to a class of people who were so versed in the scriptures and so consecrated and dedicated, if you will, to the scriptures. They were the ones that would make all the handwritten copies. They would write word for word, line for line, chapter by chapter, and make a copy of the Scriptures. That's what scribes did. And they became pretty authoritative in, in the Scriptures because of that. He takes that word and he says to these fishermen, tax collectors, you know, uneducated, unlearned guys, and says, you're scribes. Now, if you heard the Greek word that he used when he said that, you would have marveled, why would he use this word used for scribes? But at the same time, it's a word that is in, in uh, root form connected to the same word for disciple. And so he's basically saying, you are the ones that are, uh, a scribe is someone who has been taught. The literal meaning of the word scribe is one who has been taught. And he said, that's who you are. You're the ones who are being taught. Who are learning about the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, like someone who owns a house or owns an estate and there's treasure in his estate, you bring out the treasure out of your estate and you disperse it, both the new and the old. Now, that, let me just unpack that word new for a minute because it's interesting. There's a couple of words in the Bible used for new. 
And one of those is neos. Neos means like altogether new, never never having been seen before. So when a baby is born, no one has ever seen that baby before. That is a new, never before seen baby, right? There's another word for new, kainos, that means new to you. It's something that's been around a while. Other people have seen it. Other people have gotten it. Other people have experienced it. But now it's new to you. It's like the miner who goes and mines and finds diamonds. Well, those diamonds are new to him. Kainos. But those diamonds have been around for thousands, millions of years. So they're not new in that sense. They're new to you. You see the difference that we're talking about. And so... Uh, What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that you are the ones who have been taught. You're the ones that are getting it about the kingdom of heaven. You are now the new scribes, if you will. And as such, as my disciples, like a house owner who has treasures in his house, both new and old, I want you to bring those out. There are things that you have known about God and that you have known about the kingdom of God for a long time. A lot of other people don't know. Bring it out. There are things that are as fresh as the start of this day in your experience of God. New to you. Bring it out. The Bible says that the mercies of God to us are new every morning. You've experienced God in some fresh way today. Bring it out. It's a treasure. Bring out all the old experiences, the treasures that you have with God. Bring out all the new, fresh today experiences with God. This is what it means for you to be in the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven... It's not something off out there in the future, primarily. It is off out there in the future, there and then after we die. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is here and now. It is among you. It is within you. It's not even so much something that you can observe out there. It's primarily within you. It's what I'm doing in you. And like an owner of a house who has all this treasure of what I'm doing in you, bring it out. Old and new. For everyone else to behold. So when I began to meditate on this concept, for those of you that, that, that hate Star Wars, I'm sorry, it just came to me that way. <laughs> and so those of you that know the story of, of Star Wars, you know that Luke Skywalker is just this kid on the backside of nowhere. And he all of a sudden comes... Uh, stumbles into this heritage of his past that he hasn't known. He's been living with his uncle. He doesn't know a lot about his father. And and all of a sudden, he he runs into this guy named Obi-Wan Kenobi, the guy sitting down in the picture, who just happens to be a Jedi master. Now, Jedi is a certain classification of people. They they have uh, been endowed with certain kinds of qualities and abilities and powers. And as it turns out, Luke 
who was standing up there, uh, was born into a Jedi family. And he did not know that this was a part of who he was. And so Obi-Wan is beginning to uh, fill him in on his life and on his heritage and who he is. And he unpacks this little box and it's got some of his father's artifacts in there. And one of those things is a lightsaber. Right? And so he, he pulls it out and hits a button and, you know, and he's got, he's got this lightsaber, which is this weapon. And so he's like marveling at it as he's looking at it for the first time and waving it around. And Obi-Wan's beginning. That's what it's like when you first come to Christ. You just begin to find out who your father is. You just begin to find out what your heritage is. You just begin to find out what you have been endowed with, what, what you have received from another world. And it's extraordinary. It's powerful. It's stunning. It's life-altering. It's world-impacting. And in the beginning, it's like looking at this lightsaber for the first time. And, you know, you can mess some stuff up with that lightsaber if you're not careful. And so it is with the Scriptures, which the Bible calls the sword of the Spirit. You, you can go blasting people with this passage and that passage and this concept and that theology and that doctrine and so on like that. And so you have to kind of learn how to handle the sword and make sense of it all so that it becomes beneficial as well as protective and uh, a useful armament in a battle that is going on. And so uh, you fast forward a little bit in Luke's life. The next thing you know, he has been mentored. He has been discipled, if you will, by Obi-Wan Kenobi and later by another Jedi master, super Jedi master, Yoda. You know, the little green guy. And so they go off on this strange planet out in this strange part of the planet. And there he's learning all these Jedi skills, these Jedi capabilities And at this particular point, he's doing a handstand with Yoda at the top of his feet. He's levitating a rock over here and doing something else over there. He's he's becoming capable in the things of a Jedi. And so it is for a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. You're not going to go levitating anything. Okay? I auditioned for that and missed that one, too. So... Uh, We're not talking about like magical kinds of things and and you get to go around and whammy people and all all that kind of thing. But you you grow and and, and that's what Jesus was saying with that word understood. Have you understood? Do you get it that there's something that you grasp, but you keep processing and there's something you grasp and you keep processing. There's something you grasp and you keep processing. Do Do you get that? Yeah, we get that. Good, because you're the new scribe. You're the new one having been taught. You're the new disciple. You're like a homeowner that's got treasures all over his house. And you're going to bring those treasures out. Both the old and the new. For others. You're going to take all that I am putting in you. And you're going to be a difference maker. You're going to be a world impactor. And when I say that, friends, don't leap to, Oh, I get to be Jesus, man. There's not any superhero stuff that we're talking about here. This is not extraordinary Christianity. This is normal Christianity. 
This is somebody that has had their worldview shaped by God and the Word of God. Sees everything differently than this neighbor and that neighbor and that co-worker and that family member because it all comes through a God perspective. Understands the dynamics of what's going on in people and, and brokenness and bustedness and how that affects a fallen world that does fallen things where injustice prevails and poverty is prevalent. And you get all that. Why it is the way that it is. And you care about all that. And as a follower, as a disciple, you, you carry all of that. You share in the burden that both God feels for humanity and that those who are under the crushing load of it feel. So, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, as we are approaching Christmas, and it's a celebration. God has come into this world. He's incarnated himself. He has pursued us with the all, pursuit of all pursuits. It's worth celebrating. And at the same time, it's so crushing to me how many people miss that. How many people have replaced that? And there's, you know, Black Friday and shopping wars and uh, party, you know, overload and gorging and, and just missing it all. So I, I come up to Christmas Eve and it's supposed to be a celebration. And I'm, I'm crushed. I'm just, uh, it, it just breaks my, that, that's the life of the disciple. Not Jesus, man, not super extraordinary, just the average everyday Disciple, the one who is being taught, the one who is receiving the kingdom of heaven, the one that is experiencing the, the, the things of God. That's the way you begin to live. And you begin to steward all that you are. Your time. Your talents. Your treasures. You, to steward it means... That God has 100% control of all those things. God, how do you want me spending my time? God, how do you want me using my talent? God, what, what is it that you're up to with my money and my resources and my house and things like that? That's not extraordinary Christianity. That's the basic everyday Christianity. And so, friends, here's the trap that we fall into. As you're about to get into 2011 and a whole new year, a whole new opportunity, etc. See... We can get so sidetracked about religion, about Christianity slash churchianity, that we can attend a few Sunday gatherings or we can attend a few small group gatherings in the middle of the week and we can begin to congratulate ourselves because we're regular attenders. A regular attender is not a disciple. There's a lot of people that are not just regular attenders. They're 100% attenders. They're fanatical about attendance of whatever gatherings and whatever meetings and all that kind of stuff. But they're not disciples. A disciple does what Jesus does. A disciple learns it from his master, is mastered by it, and then lives that out for the days that remain. And next week I'm going to start talking about what are those days that remain? How has he numbered them? He has. 
So, friend, the the clock is ticking. We don't have forever to get about what Jesus is talking about here, where we learn from him, we do life with him, we give that life away so that others know the life as well. So to repeat the question of Jesus, have you understood what I have said? If so, will you? Will you be a disciple? Not an attender, not a volunteer, not a good person. Those things have their own worth and value. But I'm talking about disciple. Who will learn the things that Jesus teaches. Will practice the things that Jesus calls for us to be and do. And then obey. When he says go and do this, go and do this. When he says go and do that, you go and you do that. And you live sacrificially. And you live without your preferences. And you live with a worldview that is shaped by God Himself. And you live for someone else, not for self. You live for Him and those that He places around you. Friends, that is not the life that a lot of church-going people live. It's the life Jesus calls us to. It's the only life I want to live. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for reminding us today that knowing is not always understanding. And I pray for understanding today. Lord, that we would get it better in a more heart-filled way what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And as we look at this calendar of months that lie ahead, God, would you show us how to live? Would you show us how to make every day count? By your grace and by your power, would you keep us in the life? In Jesus' name.